gospel lesson this morning is found in John chapter 6. We are reading verses 41 through 51. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and we desire to see you. We desire to know you. We desire to hear from you. And so draw us to the Son. And we ask that you speak by your Spirit, for your servants are here to listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's nearly Christmas. No doubt you have learned this by now. Your television has announced it to you with movies all the way from the month of October. It used to just be that Hallmark was in the act, but now everyone is. CBS, NBC, ABC, Netflix, Amazon all now announced the time of year with their movies. Merry Christmas that, Christmas this, Christmas Kissmas, all the things. It's here with us. This is a time of year for Christians in which we can enjoy all those things, but we also remember the advents of Jesus. And yes, that's a plural. We remember the advent of Jesus, his first advent in which he came in the flesh. He comes meek and mild. He comes gentle and lowly. But we also remember this first advent because it is the promise of a second advent in which the same Jesus will come, and he will come to raise the dead, to bring eternal life, to reunite all things in heaven and on earth. And so over these weeks of Advent, as we look at those two events, one that happened then and there and one that is to come, we've reflected on the Gospel of John, and we particularly looked at the seven I Am statements of Jesus It's actually two sets of seven statements in the Gospel of John, and this sometimes gets overlooked. The first set of seven is just simply Jesus using the phrase, I am. And he declares that he is the living God. Similar to the way that the phrase is used in Exodus 3, Jesus makes known that he reveals the true God in his person. Bold moments of disclosure in which Jesus asserts his divine identity to us, pressing us to consider the magnitude of what is happening in him. These seven statements, though, are also matched by another set of seven, slightly different. Seven statements in which Jesus once again uses the phrase, I am, but he does something different. He also discloses something else. He attaches a metaphor to that statement. 
And this metaphor is to explain his purpose and his mission. And so we've walked through these metaphors where Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the shepherd. Last week we considered, I am the light of the world. And it's in these statements that we encounter the living Jesus, the one who reigns in heaven between these two advents. We're not just simply talking about a historical figure, but the living Jesus who proclaims himself to us today. And he focuses upon one single issue, one single issue that he presses you and that he presses me with, and that is how we respond to him. Because Jesus in history and Jesus today and the Jesus of the future, he leaves no room for comfortable distance. He doesn't leave room for limping between opinions. Rather, he presses us. He demands our attention. And what he does is that he challenges us to deal with him, who he is, who he is in his divine identity and what he does in his divine mission, what he comes to accomplish. Because the language that Jesus uses is stark. He says that there's light, and he says that there's darkness. He says that there is life, and he says that there is death. He says that there is a gate, and he says that there is a fence. There are shepherds, true shepherds, and one good shepherd, and there are thieves. He says that there is the truth, and then that there is the lie. And in dealing with Jesus, what we learn is that the issues are ultimate and that our options are very limited, that he speaks in these binary terms and that he's pressing us towards a yes, to affirm the yes of God that is ours in Jesus, or to a no. These are the two answers available to us. And it is precisely, we've said, this binary way of thinking that makes us so uncomfortable today. We live in the 21st century where we have proliferation of choice. Which show we want to watch, which cereal, cereal we want to eat, which fruit we might want. Choice abounds in our culture and society. And so we're somewhat allergic to this binary type of thinking, this yes and this no. Does it really have to be that limited? And we're especially that way when it comes to religion. We inhabit a culture in which nothing is necessary and absolutely everything is possible. That a piece of clay only has the meaning that we assign to it. That it only has the meaning that we fashion and form it into. And it's into that world, into that world where nothing is necessary and absolutely everything that is possible that Jesus speaks in these binary terms. And so it's into that world, in all of its options, in all of its possibilities, in all of its uncertainties, and definitely in all of its fears and all the fragility that that system creates, that Jesus speaks in these very strong and robust terms. And so today, we hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life. Once again, like all the rest of the metaphors we've seen, it's simple. It's simple, but yet it's laden with biblical meaning, and it appeals to us in our world and what it means to be a human. And so we'll ask the simple question that corresponds to it. What is it that Jesus desires us to see in affirming that he is the bread of life? 
two things ahead of the Lord's Supper this morning that we will discuss and that we'll consider. First, we'll see that Jesus specifies our hunger in this metaphor. And second, we'll see that he defines our need. And so first, we see that Jesus specifies our hunger. Now, the passage we read, we took 10 verses out of a very long chapter, but a really intricate and detailed chapter in which a great deal has gone on. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus feeds an overwhelming crowd, feeding over 5,000 people in a miraculous event, a mass of humanity in the wilderness who were to go hungry, and Jesus provides for them. It paralleled the giving of the manna in the wilderness. But then Jesus pulls away from that great crowd as they pressed him in all their needs, and he pulls away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The crowd notices that he was not there, nor were the disciples there, so they hire boats and go to the other side. And in verse 24, it says that they were seeking Jesus. They had been deeply impressed by him. They wanted more of him, and so they chase him to Capernaum. They found him. And then they ask a very important question. Listen to this question in verse 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? They were asking Jesus a religious question. They were asking him a theological question. It's a godly question. It's a good question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus gives them an answer. Verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. And so the work of God is simple, is that you to believe the one that God has sent into the world to reveal the true God to you. The crowd then asks for a sign. They explain to Jesus, which is always interesting, <laughs> they explain to Jesus that God had given them a sign, given the fathers a sign in the wilderness. And that sign was bread that came from heaven. You see, they didn't want to just do God's work, which was to believe in the one he sent. They wanted some affirmation. They wanted something tangible. And then in verse 33, Jesus explains that the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The crowd then requests... In what is a simple and beautiful prayer, sir, give us this bread always. They wanted this bread. Remember, they came around the lake and they were seeking Jesus. They were so overwhelmed and impressed by him, they're chasing after him. They believe that Jesus can give what it is that they seek. And we walk through that detail because what's clear these are extremely religious people. They have laid aside their interests. They are chasing after Jesus. They are asking him questions. He is giving them answers. They are listening. They are telling him, give us this bread, making prayers and supplications to him. They believe that Jesus can give them what it is that they seek. But something happens. There's a turn in the passage that happens in verse 41 because Jesus knows that there's something wrong. And it is something that happens that's so important for us, the church today, to pay attention to. Because Jesus turns to confront this crowd. He explains in verse 36 that they had seen him, 
but yet they didn't really believe in him. It gets worse from there. He goes on to say some hard things about the hardness of the human heart and how we refuse to believe and, tr- and, and entrust ourselves to the one who's been sent from heaven. And he says hard things about the day of resurrection. And then in verse 41, what's important for us to focus on this morning is that even though this crowd had come out seeking Jesus, they then begin to grumble against him. That one who they were so impressed with, that one who they had wanted to hear, that one who they had come to for wisdom, asking their questions, seeking his answers, then in verse 41, they're grumbling against him. And so what exactly went wrong? It's the question that we need to ask, and we need to ask it personally. What went wrong here? What we see is that Jesus wasn't agreeing with their expectations. He was suddenly not fitting into what they wanted. They liked the bread out in the wilderness. They liked some of the other answers he was given. But suddenly, when he turns the topic to speak about truly believing in him and doing this work of God, believing in the one who sent, they weren't liking what they were hearing. It didn't work with who they thought he should be. And what becomes clear is exactly what they hungered for. What they were hungering for has already been expressed to us. If you turn back in chapter 6 and verse 15, it's the reason that Jesus actually pulled to the other side of the lake. John writes this, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew up to the mountain by himself. This is what they wanted. This is what they hungered for. A Jesus who would be king and king in a very earthly fashion, one who fit into their common first century perceptions of what the Jewish Messiah was to look like. This was who Jesus was supposed to be, and yet he was not cooperating. They were impressed by him, but he really needed to get in line with what it is that they wanted. And so they were hungry but they were hungry for the wrong thing. As a kid, I was always given the option of what I wanted for dessert for my birthday. And every birthday that I can remember, it was not a cake. It was my mother's apple pie. Every time. And apple pie didn't just happen on birthdays. It happened throughout the year because it was my favorite. And when it came to the day in which apple pies were made, the the smell would aroma, you should say, would fill the house, and I'd be so excited, hardly being able to make it through dinner. My mom would then turn and say to me, well, you must finish your dinner if you're going to have apple pie, and I'd say, well, I'm full. Well, there's no apple pie, and then I came up with this explanation at a young age. I'm not sure how old I was, but the explanation was, well, that compartment's full, and this compartment's not. (laughs) Seemed very rational to me perfectly plausible that you would have compartments in your stomach. And yes, so this compartment for dinner is full, but dessert is wide open. And this is the way that we also want to deal with Jesus, that we come with our compartments. We come with preset definitions, ways that he's supposed to work, expectations of him. We inherit those in various ways from our culture, but what we fail to appreciate is that those are all tainted by sin. And what Jesus was wanting to do with this crowd was define himself to them. That he is the one who comes from the Father. 
that he alone knows the Father and that he makes the true God known to us, that he is revealing that God to us in his works and in his ways, and he'll do so from his cross, showing us that mission. And so to hunger after God, to want this bread, to believe is to come to this Jesus, and that we all must be incredibly careful and acknowledge that we bring unhelpful things to that equation and allow Jesus to once again, over and over, year over year, draw us into the truth of who God is as we listen carefully to him. And so Jesus specifies our hunger. The second, we see that Jesus also defines our real needs. Verse 51, we see what Jesus says here about being the living bread that came down from heaven. He goes on to explain that if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. One of the great powers of this metaphor, and when Jesus says that he is the living bread, is that food is so much at the center of human life. It's where we enjoy fellowship with others. We enjoy the taste and the delights of all the good things that God gives us in creation, but also that food is essential, that it's necessary. Multiple times a day, we eat, and we eat so that our bodies will function and so that our bodies will thrive. We know that if we don't eat, then we don't thrive. We don't function. We emaciate and die. Especially powerful metaphor in Jesus' first century world. You see, in that world, they didn't have grocery stores stocked with food. There weren't aisles. There weren't choices. You couldn't order your stuff online. You couldn't do curbside pickup, and you definitely didn't have Grubhub. Things just didn't exist. Life was far more fragile And bread was one of those things that people subsisted on. It was necessary, essential to life. And so like the miraculous manna of Exodus 16, Israel's back was against the wall in the wilderness. God gave them something. And Jesus is saying that God is once again acting. And he's giving bread for the life of the world. And that bread is none other than himself. And that if we're going to live as human beings, Jesus is saying very baldly that we have to eat this bread. It is what sustains and nurtures us, that it alone gives us life. Without it, we die. There's two levels to this eating that we have to talk about, though. On one level, to eat this bread is to believe in Jesus. We've already answered the question, what is it to do the works of God? The works of God are to believe in the one that he sent. And then Jesus spells it out very clearly in verse 51. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so what is it? To eat. To eat is to believe. It is to have faith. We eat by looking to Jesus in faith, knowing that he alone cancels the judgment against our sins that he comes in human flesh, that he dies the death that we deserve to die, that he alone can condemn the condemnation that you and I deserve. And he does so by being in our place on the cross. 
And so to eat is to entrust yourself to this Jesus. This Jesus who is God by standing in your place on your behalf. And so we believe in him. But second, on that second level, to eat is also just to eat. Notice what Jesus says in verse 55. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And Jesus here is making sacramental reference, of course, to to his body and to his blood and to bread and to wine that is given. Now, this was not to to complicate things. It's rather a tangible sign. Sacraments in the Bible were always connected to God's covenant and to his promises. And it's meant to explain things for us, that sacraments are signs given to our weakness to affirm us in these things. And so Jesus does give a sign that directs the church to feed upon him. Now, I was reminded of that simplicity. People get very confused by sacraments. But my oldest son, when he was four years old, we were attending a church service in the evening at Second Presbyterian in Memphis, Tennessee, and they were serving communion. And he looked at me, and he said, Daddy, I want some of that special bread. My heart swelled because it was great. He had gotten it. He had been standing in those church services for four years, and he'd gotten that there was something unique about that bread. And so it had been given the title special bread. I want some of that special bread. Now, presuming that my son was like these Israelites in the wilderness, that he just wanted to fill his belly, I said, well, that bread is for people who believe in Jesus. He then responded, correcting me, yes, I want that bread because I believe in Jesus. Why can't I have the bread, Daddy? He began to press me in what was our first of many theological conversations. And it is the simplicity of a child that often reminds us, though, of why these things exist. That that bread is there to confirm, it is to signify, it is to seal all of God's promises to us. It does raise the question of exactly what is happening in communion. And some people look at this language in John 6, and it is somewhat crass and literal, and it can look something cannibalistic. And so people ask the question, well, is the bread and wine literally transformed into the body and the blood of Jesus? Is there some hocus-pocus going on on the table in which a thing becomes the living Jesus? Then others respond, well, certainly it can't be that. Certainly it's just simply to remember these things. It's just to recall them, to bring them to mind. In both cases, the answer is a resounding no, that neither one is what's going on. But how then exactly do we eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus? In our theological tradition, there is a rich answer to that question, one worth exploring that also cost you thousands of pages, so permit me a brief summary for you about eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus. And as we've worked through this, our confession really amplifies and gives us two answers, things that we are to affirm. First is that the body of Jesus is in but one place, that that body is a real body. Jesus is not amorphous. His body is at the right hand of God. 
And so Jesus is the ascended Jesus who sits at right God's right hand and rules over the world. And so his body doesn't get transformed and become present in a literal way here on the table in front of us, that he is in heaven. The first main truth we affirm. But then second is that this meal also delivers what it promises. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul explains that there is a participation in the body and blood of Jesus. That word participation is just the word that we often translate fellowship, koinonia, that there is a real vital fellowship with Jesus as we come to him through bread and wine by faith. There is more than remembrance going on here. There is something mysterious. John Calvin, one of my intellectual mentors, heroes of the faith, writes hundreds and hundreds of pages through multiple theological disputes. He codifies all that in the Institutes. He gets to the end of all of it. And it's perhaps my favorite thing that he ever wrote. He says, you know what? I'd rather enjoy it than understand it. And friends, this is the truth, that we come in faith to Jesus. This is what it means to eat. We come believing. And then we come to this meal, and we come and eat. And as we eat, we believe. And we celebrate our union with him, that mysterious union that's worked out by the Spirit. And this is what we find in verse 63, as Jesus explains, that it is the Spirit who gives life. And Jesus here has revealed the true God to us, that he is the word of God, the one sent by God, the Father. And he comes into the world to make the true God known and the spirit who is coming. And so we have a revelation of the triune God and all of his activity and all of his work. And it's the spirit who gives us life. And so friends, this is the way that we feast upon Jesus, the bread of life in this mystical communion in which the Spirit is the channel of life in which we feast upon Christ. And so we want to enjoy it, understand it, press into it, but know this is where all the benefits that Jesus has won on your behalf, what he has done for you, this is where you come and you call on him. In all of your weakness and in all of your need, you can look to him. In all of your hunger, in all of your search for satisfaction, you look to him. In your guilt, you look to him, the one who cancels out your sins. And as you come to his table, you say, yes, affirm that promise for me. In your struggle against sin and all the de defeat and failure that you can feel, you come to him and say, yes, remind me of your promise that you set me free. In your own mortality and the weakness of your body and all the fragility that you feel, knowing that we all must die, you come to him. And you say, in you is life. And your promise to me is life. That you will conquer the grave because you have conquered it. And friends, we come to that living Jesus. And as we come to his table, we make those prayers. Because we believe that he is the bread of life. And so we come in faith. And as you come, allow him to strengthen you. Allow him to fortify you. Allow him to nurture you. Come and feast and say with that crowd, sir, give us this bread always. Let's say it in faith. Let's pray.
Father, as we read these words, challenging words from our Lord Jesus, we recognize our own weakness and that we too are so often like those great crowds that fickle and unfaithful, we often go seeking after Jesus. We can even chase after him at great lengths and yet our hearts are still filled with unbelief. But it's you who draw us. It's you who give us ears to hear. You alone give us eyes to see. And so we ask that in this simple teaching of Jesus, that he is the bread of life, that we draw near to him today. Satisfy our hearts in him to know that he is the one who condemns our condemnation by giving himself for our life, that we could share in eternal life. And allow us to eat and to drink with joy, knowing all of your goodness to us. And so seal all of your good promises to our hearts today as we commune with him. We remember all the needs of your world this morning. This is the world that Jesus came to lay down his life for. And so hear us as we bring our prayers and our supplications to you today. We ask that you bless our mission partner, Kurt Nelson, president of East West Ministries. We ask God that you give Kurt wisdom and endurance as he guides the various ministries of East West spread throughout 50 countries around the world. Provide for their missionaries, give them strength and power, fill them with hope and light and truth as they preach Jesus and point the nations to his great light. We pray for our local ministry partner, the City Rescue Mission. We give thanks for the long service here, especially with their new life in serving the homeless population in our city. Provide for basic necessities during this difficult season and allow the love of Jesus to be known by those who are without those basic necessities. Pray for all in authority. Pray especially for our mayor, Lennon Curry. We pray for our governor, Ron DeSantis. We pray for our president, Joe Biden. We pray for all others who join them in authority. Congress, House of Representatives, our Supreme Court, and we ask God that you would endow them with justice and with righteousness, that they long to pursue the things that please you. Direct their hearts according to your great wisdom. We pray for Jonathan Waddell while away on deployment with the Navy. We ask God that you continue to be a refuge to Jonathan while away from his wife and his son. And God, we pray that you would support and comfort Abigail and Daniel in his absence. Watch over them and keep them through this season. We pray for all those who grieve and suffer in our congregation. And we ask God that you would give them comfort during the Christmas season, that they remember the one who has taken on flesh, that he would end all the suffering of flesh and renew all things. Draw near and remind them of your good promises. And so we pray for Steve Beaver as he heals from surgery. For Barb Day, for Louis Fosnick, for Sue Forsyth, for Elizabeth Garnett, for Gar Garganius, for Hector and Viona Harima, for Wayne Noble, for Sandy Reynolds,
and Jewel Smith. Father, we're also mindful of our little ones. We thank you for the children that you have entrusted to our care. We ask that you continue to build and to grow that stewardship, that we would teach this generation to love you and to know you, and that you will be at work in their hearts to draw them, that they would listen to Jesus, that their expectations of you would be conformed by Jesus. And so may they grow up to delight in your word, delighting in your church and in the knowledge of you, and would they be blessed all their days. And so we ask for you to work richly in their hearts through this season. All these things we pray in the name of our Savior who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.